The presenting sponsor of Behind the Beak is Down in Front Productions. DIFP is a video production company located in Birmingham, Alabama that strives to provide high-quality video services for your business or event at very competitive prices with a personal approach. They specialize in sporting events, weddings, and business videography, but also provide recording and video editing work for other events such as seminars, commercials, and concerts. Give Dustin and the crew a call at 205-588-0868 or visit them at difpbham.com. That's difpbham.com to see how they can help you. Down in Front Productions, the presenting sponsor of Behind the Beat. Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Now, here's your host, Tyler Brown. Welcome into Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Episode number 14 of the series, Tyler Brown alongside Avery Davis. Our guest today is head baseball coach Jim Case. His interview will be coming up in just a few moments. He talks about the upcoming baseball season, a three-game series with Missouri coming up at Rudy Abbott Field, Jim Case Stadium. And he talks about his early career in coaching, how he got started and his family, and how far JSU baseball has come along since he arrived in town and took over for former head coach Rudy Abbott. A few things outside of JSU athletics, and then we get right back into Gamecock sports. Avery, uh, I guess one of the biggest things that happened over the weekend was the debut of the new XFL. And uh, from what I saw, Watched a little bit of a game right before the game at uh, UT Martin, the basketball game, and what I saw it looked like real football. Yeah, and what you what you was just talking to me about, you had to coach me up on the XFL of old. <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't around for the uh, first stage of that, but we talked about uh, the differences between the two and how uh, you said the prior was more like WWE, just in, oh, in football. It was just like it was just like a uh, wrestling mixed with football and it was (laughs) you know there was practically no hit that was uh frowned upon and the jersey nicknames and numbers and the storylines and stuff like that that it seemed like vince mcmahon tried to get going was uh it it was just a carnival and then what i saw saturday looked like legit football uh they've taken a more professional approach to it and there's eight teams in the league this year and then they've got a few different neat rules in their rules package that I know a lot of people have said, you know, the NFL should go ahead and start looking at and maybe adopt. And one of them that you mentioned was the uh, kick returns rule that they have this year. Yeah, and obviously these rules that they've uh, brought out have two parts. Uh, one, to make it more entertaining so they can uh, keep the league going. And then also, like we've talked about, is uh, some of these rules that could be implemented in, in the game, in the NFL, and possibly the collegiate level. Uh, it's it's interesting. It, it was enjoyable to watch. I'm excited to see how uh, they do in week two. That's what everybody's been talking about. Obviously, week one, there's a lot of hype to it and uh, had a lot of viewers. But how do they do week two, week three? How do they keep it going? There's eight teams in the league, and there's a ninth team, you know, air quotes around that one, that's basically a free agent team that's almost like a, a farm team that will practice throughout the year, and someone gets injured on one of the 
eight teams. They'll call up that player from the ninth team, and that's actually what it's called is Team Nine. Uh, the kickoff rule was neat because it one they they keep player safety in mind, which I think you have to do in this day and age with all of the uh, injuries and CTE and everything that uh, football players can sustain. And the kickoff rule takes away some of those high impact hits makes the return a little bit more exciting. And then the punt return as well is the same way. It takes away those high-speed hits that you can have, and it also forces the offense to rethink punting because where the line is, the offense and defense really can't move until the punter catches the ball, and the punter has a ton of space that he can return the ball, so it really hurts the kicking team to punt the ball away. And it also uh, cuts down on, like we said, those high-impact hits. So there's there's some cool rules to the XFL. Um, I'm going to watch week two as well just to see how everything goes. It's been entertaining so far, and uh, it's done a good job of getting players interacting with the fans and the crowd and media to where what I thought was so funny was right after a guy throws a pick, they'll stick a microphone in his face and ask about throwing the pick. It's, uh, you know, no rules as far as media goes, so I thought that was really cool. But uh, the XFL starting this weekend, week two will be next weekend. And in sticking with football and getting back to Jacksonville State Athletics, we had signing day just last Wednesday. Uh, On signing day, National Signing Day, we signed 14. They joined nine from the early signing period. And and Avery, a lot of local kids signing NLIs this week. Sure, yeah. Uh, Some guys from White Plains High School, Oxford, Jacksonville. Good to see a lot of these local guys. Uh, People in the area will get to watch some of these players from their local high schools. Uh, Obviously, Ron Wiggins uh, from Jacksonville High School, really sought-after player, uh, record-breaking season at Jacksonville High School, and it's going to be exciting to watch him play here here at Burgess Snow. And so a total of 23 signees for the Gamecocks in 2020, 14 that signed on signing day, 9 that signed back in the early signing period. A lot of those guys enrolled in January that signed, and then a few that signed in December. And so uh, one of those guys to keep an eye on is a running back from Western Kentucky, Joshua Samuel, 6'1", 240, from Greenville, South Carolina. He'll be fun to watch this year. And so an exciting signing class for Jacksonville State in football. And then over in basketball action, men's basketball team, they lost 76-72 to to SEMO last Thursday, but then salvaged the road trip with a win 75-61 at UT Martin on Saturday. Kane Henry on Monday was named the OVC Newcomer of the Week for the third time this season. Last week scored 35 points, grabbed 17 rebounds. He scored 15 at SEMO and 20 at UT Martin. That was his third 20-point performance of the season. And like we said, that's his third OVC Newcomer of the Week award. He is the first Gamecock to win weekly conference honors three times in a single season since Jared Hamilton was named OVC Freshman of the Week three times in 2015-2016. So a great week from Kane Henry. He's had a fantastic month. And then Avery over in basketball, a tough road trip for the women in their visit to SEMO and UT Martin. Yeah, the women took the two-game skid Thursday night against SEMO, 79-52, taking the loss, and then on Saturday, 86-72 against Martin, who's having a pretty good year. In keeping with the trend in UT Martin, the Jacksonville State Rifle team picked up a championship, winning the OVC title in Air Rifle. Sam Payne and Mackenzie Van Patten both finished in the top five. They shot 590 to place second at the OVC Air Rifle Championships. In men's tennis action, the Jacksonville State Gamecocks won 6-1 over Nichols State on Thursday night. Friday dropped a 4-3 decision to New Orleans in a close one. 
and then they had to get up early the next morning to travel all the way from New Orleans to Huntsville, Alabama, where they took on the Alabama A&M Bulldogs, and they swept them 4 to nothing. The women on Thursday beat Nichols 5-2. to They had a break in between. They didn't play on Friday. And then Saturday, they also swept Alabama A&M 4 nothing as well. Women's softball kicked off their season uh, this past weekend on Friday, February 7th, winning an 8-7 over Purdue-Fort Wayne, and then followed that up with a loss to Kennesaw State, 9-1. Saturday, both games in Kennesaw, Georgia, got snowed out, uh, and then Gamecocks returned on February 9th on Sunday to take a 12-0 loss against Kennesaw State. And to wrap up results from last week in track and field, Madison Rollins in the open division and Bailey Porch in the invitational division placed sixth in the high jump, at the South Carolina Invitational in Columbia, South Carolina. Angelia Harris set a new personal best in the long jump at 5.14 meters to lead the Gamecocks. Coming up on the schedule in Gamecock Athletics on Thursday, February 13th, the Jacksonville State women's basketball team is in Cookville, Tennessee, taking on Tennessee Tech. That game begins at 11 a.m. And then on Saturday, they're in Nashville taking on Belmont. That matchup set to be in at 3 p.m., both games will broadcast on ESPN+. Men's basketball being Cookville, Tennessee on February 13th. Play Tennessee Tech Golden Eagles. And then on Saturday, February 15th, the Gamecocks will play in Nashville, Tennessee against the Belmont Bruins. And that'll end the three-game trip in the volunteer state for you, Tyler, our, our home state. That's right. I think I'm actually going to take my car up and uh, go visit home for a little bit whenever I go. So that'll be a a little bit of a vacation for me with some basketball sprinkled in between. Uh, no women's tennis this week. Their next match will be February 19th on Wednesday at 1 p.m. against UNA and Florence, Alabama. And the same for the men as well. No tennis this week for them. They'll be at North Alabama February 19th. That's a Wednesday, and they'll start at 10 a.m. The next home match for both teams is February 27th. That's a Thursday at 1.30 p.m. when the Gamecocks host Alabama State. Track and field will be at the Bulldog Open on February 15th. And then February 26th and 27th, the OVC Indoor Championships. Both of these events will take place at the Birmingham Crossplex. In softball action, the Gamecocks will stay on the road for five more contests. They will be at the Coastal Carolina Battle at the Beach Tournament in Conway, South Carolina. Friday, February 14th, a doubleheader with Delaware State and Coastal Carolina. That's starting at 11.45 a.m. They will take on Northern Illinois and the College of Charleston on February 15th. That's on Saturday. First pitch against Northern Illinois is set for 8.30 a.m. Game two against the Cougars of Charleston is set for 3.15 p.m. And then they wrap up that tournament on Sunday, February 16th at 10.15 a.m. Again with the College of Charleston. And in the other diamond sport, that takes us right into baseball as Jacksonville State has a three-game series with Missouri to open up the season. Friday, February 14th, 3 p.m. is first pitch. February 15th on Saturday, another 3 p.m. first pitch. And on Sunday, February 16th, they'll get started at noon. All three games from Rudy Abbott Field at Jim K. Stadium will broadcast on ESPN+. This week's guest on the podcast is a three-time OVC Coach of the Year and has led the Gamecocks to seven Ohio Valley Conference championships. Head baseball coach Jim Case previews the upcoming 2020 season as his squad is set to defend their title as OVC champs. He takes us back to his early days as a coach and revisits the 2019 season that saw JSU reach the finals of the NCAA Baseball Regional in Oxford, Mississippi. Here is Jacksonville State head baseball coach Jim Case. Joined on the podcast today by 
JSU head baseball coach Jim Case. Coach, thanks uh, for coming on the podcast with us. Oh, this will be fun. Recording on location today at Jim Case Stadium. Uh, a little rainy outside <laughs> today, but one of the great things that I, I constantly talk about is the, the new turf that we have out here. And no matter how much it rains up until Friday, we're still going to get to play. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing when they talk about we might have as much as five inches of rain this week and think it's not going to affect us at all. Probably even Thursday, you know, we'll be able to practice. And it kind of blows my mind. And, you know, if I was honest about it, I'm not sure I was 100% on board with turf when it first started. And I look back and think, man, you might be the dumbest guy I've ever met. Because, I mean, it has really paid off for us. And even in the preparation, you know, last week it rained a lot. We we did not miss any time. I mean, we still scrimmaged. And uh, it was kind of amazing. It'd get to practice time. It'd clear off, and boom, here we go. And then it'd start raining again. Who cares, you know? So it's been a real blessing for us. It's been really good. In keeping with that, with the entire stadium in mind, how far have you seen Rudy Abbott Field come since whenever you first got here? to now just what the stadium has done for everything from recruiting to prep to game day well i would say this uh it's very very hard to compare the two stadiums but i I would say this um you know when you look at it and you and you think and it's true from a recruiting standpoint this new stadium has opened doors but i want to say that um all of the things that coach abbott did and all of the things that the players through the years had done and the winning that had happened and the tradition that was here, it wasn't like we didn't have anything to recruit to. That would not be true. Um, I think what we didn't have was all the bells and whistles, but we, we did have a program that had won. We, we had, you know, when people think about Jacksonville State baseball, uh, nothing to do with the time that I've been here, I'm talking about for years and years, it's been a winning tradition. So we were we were recruiting off of that winning tradition a lot before we ever got the stadium. But I think what this does is now we can still use that winning tradition and all the things that have happened. Plus, we have a place with all the bells and whistles. So, I mean, there's no question it's open doors for us. This season starts uh, on Friday. On Valentine's Day, 3 o'clock, you guys have Missouri in for a three-game series. What has the stadium done for scheduling when it comes to getting teams in? Well, you know, we opened this year with 14 games in a row at home. That's We've never come close to that. And, and one of the things that teams love about coming here is we're probably going to play. I mean, I'm not sure we would if it was today. But we, we've had very few days where it just rains all day long. So, you know, from a standpoint of, um, you know, a great relationship with Steve Beezer at Missouri, uh, who used to be at SEMO, knowing that uh, it, w- it would be a good place to come, it'd be a quality venue, and the relationship that we had is open some doors. So uh, that's my hope that uh, as we move forward, Every year we'll have a lot more home games than we do road games. And f- for several reasons. One is we, we want people to be able to come out and see us play. And the other thing is it allows our guys to spend much more time in class, which is, ends up being really important. And, you know, that's one of the things that gets overlooked is when you travel, it's really difficult for people to do what they're really here to do, and that's to do well in school. Well, the more home games we play, it really ups their chances of doing well. And I have to imagine that baseball and softball 
have to be two of the most grueling schedules when it comes to travel and just throughout the season itself. It is. It's, it's uh, you know, for every other weekend, once you get to conference play, you're going to leave here on Thursday morning. You're going to get back late, late Sunday night or Monday morning. So, you know, that's that's a, a given. And then you're probably one, either Tuesday or Wednesday, you're going to be on the road. And so there, it's a lot of travel, but it's also a, a very good time. You know, we're a routine-oriented sport to me. And I love the feeling of when the season starts, you fall into this routine where you pretty much know every day what you're going to be doing. There's not a whole lot of decisions. Hey, the bus is leaving at 10 o'clock. You better be on it. And I, I love that part of it. And I actually wish that our season went much longer than it does. I, if we played 162 games the way the major leagues do, it would be just fine with me because it's my very favorite time of the year. Whenever this stadium was in the planning stages and you heard that it was going to have your name on it what were your initial thoughts uh and initially i think uh the thoughts were I, I almost couldn't believe it but then uh almost immediately it went to all of the people that were involved in in making that happen and and you know i'm, I'm talking all the way to the the play, the brian haskins the first player that i ever signed here and and all of the sacrifices that people have made for this program to grow just in my time here and to be able to to share that with them because not for a moment do I think uh, my name being on the stadium has anything to do with me. What it has to do with is all of the players and the coaches and the support people who have been a part of it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really proud uh, of my name to be on such a, a beautiful place. And at the same time, I understand it has very little to do with what I've done, but it's the people that I've been surrounded by. You're a seven-time OVC champion coach, three-time OVC coach of the year, but you started out your coaching career as a grad assistant at Mississippi State. How did you get to Mississippi State through your playing days at Louisiana Tech? Tell me where it all started. Well, I'm going to make this as quick as I can, but I was I, I did not graduate on time, which is not surprising if you know me. And uh, it took me an extra year. So I was actually coaching at Louisiana Tech and finishing school. And uh, I, my plan was I was going to Northeast Louisiana to be an assistant coach for Lou Santamont. He was the coach at, at that time. It was called Northeast um, Louisiana, which now is Louisiana Monroe. And um, so I was going there. Well, we went up to play a Tuesday, Wednesday in Starkville. And, um, you know, I was throwing bat in practice and hitting fungos and, and uh, Coach Polk just happened to notice and, and ask our coach, um, who is that and what's he going to do? And the reason he asked was he had an opening on his staff uh, for the next year. Buck Showalter was supposed to come back to be a graduate assistant, and he had decided to stay in pro ball, which opened up a spot. And so I actually took that spot and uh, decided to go to Mississippi State instead of uh, Northeast Louisiana, and, and it turned out to be one of the biggest blessings, you know, to be around Coach Polk and Pat McMahon and Brian Shoup and and all of those kinds of people. It really, it really changed my direction for what I was going to be able to do with my career. Coach Polk's the winningest coach in SEC history. Pat McMahon that you mentioned works for the New York Yankees now. He was here for your naming ceremony for the stadium, and then of course Brian Shoup, the head coach at UAB. Tell me what you were able to learn from Coach Polk. Having an influence like that as a GA guide you through those 
early years as a coach? Coach Polk was probably at that time uh, he he would have had to been one of the top two or three coaches in the country, and uh, an unbelievably organized, unbelievably driven, a tremendous teacher. It was you know back then we didn't have time restraints, so practices were long. Uh, we all worked. I taught in the PE department, finished up at 9 o'clock at night every night from the PE department. We went from 6 to 9, and then w we went right back and started meetings at 9.30 at night. That's just the way uh, Coach Polk was. You know, he was so driven in that way. And, and uh, to be able to be around him and to just to see the things that, that he did and to pick up on the things, and I think that there would be a lot of us uh, I mean, many, many, many of us that would say that a lot of what we do goes back to Coach Polk. And certainly, uh, I had to learn very early in my career that I could not be Ron Polk because that's who I wanted to be when I started coaching. And I, I thought, man, I had so much respect for him, and I just want to be just like him. But I couldn't be him. But I could take a lot of things that he had done, and I could take a lot of the things that Coach McMahon had done that I had seen him uh, do with the players, and then I could put that into who I'm going to be as a coach. So uh, I'm very grateful for that time. Um, I'm grateful that I still have a tremendous relationship, that he's in Birmingham, and I get to see him several times a year. But he had tremendous influence on not just myself but many of us. How much have you seen this program grow since you arrived here and what you've been able to do with it? Well, I mean, the, certainly the program has grown, but I, and I go back and say uh, a lot of what this program is about took place before I ever got here. So I, I can't take credit for all of the things that those guys did through the years and Coach Abbott was able to accomplish is, is pretty incredible. But I think that if you looked at it and said at the Division One level uh, where we've been able to take it, I think has been really good. And and you know that we you kind of felt like that there was a a ceiling that you weren't going to get be able to go past this point uh, with what we had. And when they when they made a decision that they were going to make the commitment as a university to give us such a wonderful place to play. I think that ceiling went way higher. I think there was only so much that uh, the program was going to be able to accomplish on Division One level with what we had. It's opened up many, many doors. And I think that the best things that will happen for Jacksonville State and Division One baseball are, are to come. They, they won't be what happened in the past. It'll be what's to come. And throughout your career, you've had a great support staff with you. And not talking about coaches, but in your wife, Dr. Jan Case, and your children. Talk about what your family means to you and how they've supported you throughout your career. And really, the same way goes back toward your family and how you've supported them. Yeah, well, if, if you go all the way back to those times at Mississippi State that we just finished talking about, uh, Jan was – if, if not for her, we, we wouldn't be eating, you know, I mean, she was teaching at the university and, and, um, and, and really that was the only steady income that we had during that time. And I think that both of us had our eyes set forward, you know, that, Hey, we'll struggle right now for the opportunity to hopefully do better. Um, but I'm very, very grateful. It's tough. Uh, that's a tough life. It's not an easy life for, uh, the wife of uh, people that coach at this level and the time that you're that you're gone and 
And, um, you know, you end up sharing the person with a lot of other people and even your children. You know, there's a lot of things that through the years that you miss and um, the girls have been fantastic and they've they've always been so supportive when they were here. Of course, they're grown now and and doing their own thing. But um, from a family standpoint, um, I couldn't ask for any more than what uh, Jan has done as far as supporting uh, my career and then hopefully we've been good for each other. It's, it's been really good that, um, you know, we've, for the last, I don't know, 22, 23 years, we've been able to work at the same place. And when we were in Birmingham and she was at Sanford and I was at UAB, it was a little bit different. It's been great for us to be able to work at the same university. Throughout all of these years between Mike Paris's truck catching on fire and burning out in the parking lot to I'm sure many many great Coach Polk stories. What's a story that, a memory that stands out to you that you'll never forget that whether it be funny, whether it be a team winning a championship, what's one of those memories that sticks in your mind? Boy, there's, that is, that's a good question. It's a tough question. You know, uh, one thing that has stuck in my mind, and I couldn't even tell you the year, I think it was probably my second or third year here. We were playing down in Florida and we got rained out. It was a day just like today. And there was nothing you're going to do. You're going to sit in a motel all day. And, of course, you know, you've been on enough of these trips. you got guys that are playing cards here. And back then it wasn't video games, so there was a lot of card games going on. And we heard a girl scream in the motel. And one of our guys, Travis Sureth, he looked out the door, and he saw a guy running through the parking lot with a purse. And someone had stolen this girl's purse at the hotel. And he jumped from the second floor onto a hood of a car down on the first floor, chased him through a field, caught him out in the field. By that time, there was four or five of our guys there, and we called the police. And uh, But it, I don't know that that will ever get out of my head. And one of the funny things about it was the guy that they caught out in the field, he couldn't have been more happy for the police to finally get there. <laughs> it was the the uh, torture that was happening in that field <laughs> he was so happy when they threw the cuffs on him and took him to jail but uh that that is one of those things i mean there's been there's been so many i mean the championships every one of them is is so great you know in 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 their own way and even last year you know to to go to Ole miss and to be able to win a game against Illinois and to be able to win a game against Clemson those are things that, that you don't forget but there's been many of those things through the years that have happened and you know the the guys that maybe came here and and it looked like man I'm not sure that this is going to work out and then leave here with with so much you know success and there's there's so many of those but th that's actually a great question because it would be hard for me to narrow it down to one thing one of those guys that you mentioned coming here and it working out would be, I believe, Clay Whittemore. And you had the chance to induct him. He was your first student athlete that has been inducted into the JSU Athletics Hall of Fame. What was it like having Clay back and being able to induct him and that being one of your guys going into the hall? Yeah, I thought it was really, really great. And, you know, I, I know that through the years there will be more, but him being the first one. And, and um, you know, I think that you look at a program and you say, this is what this program is all about. You know, there's the 
Clay Whittemore pretty much is what this program is all about. I mean, he was a great baseball player. He was a great person. He was a great student. And if you had to have somebody, and we've had many, but if you had to have somebody and said, I want the, the program will be represented by this guy, you couldn't find a better person than Clay Whittemore. I mean, he's he's about as solid a human being as there is, you know, in this world. So uh, we were very, very proud of that. And, I mean, we were proud of him when he was here. He was a tremendous leader. Um, he really helped the program to – he moved it forward. There's no question about it. He was great about that. But it was nice to see him recognized, and it was – it was really, really nice to look at the faces of his family when that happened because I think it meant more to them than it did to him. One of the guys that came back to visit him was Todd Cunningham, and Todd is one of the professional guys that in the four years that I've been here, whenever he was active, mm -hmm. one of the guys that was coming back and working out, and you still have that today with Garrett Farmer, Nick Gaddis, mm -hmm. Spike, even Shed Long, who didn't go here but is a Jacksonville product. Derek Adams. What what does it mean for those guys to come back and still be a part of the program, work out here, and have those guys around your college guys? Well, you know, a couple of things. One is most every guy on our team, their dream is to play professional baseball. So it's great to have these guys back. And then especially if they're the right kind of people. And the and those that you just mentioned, they are. And even Shed, who didn't go here, uh, he's, he's the right kind of guy to have around. So – you know, one of the things that they allowed us to do is we built a locker room for the guys who come back. So uh, now we can wash their clothes and we can do, which encourages them to come every day because they ain't got to worry about keeping their stuff up. And we want them here every time that they can possibly be here. We'll do whatever it is that we can to help them. If a guy's getting ready to go to spring training and he needs to see some hitters, then you can throw to our guys. You need somebody to catch in the bullpen. Here you go. You need videotaped. You need to. You want to throw in rap soto for you know trying to develop pitches. Here you go. So all of those things. The more that we can get those guys around, the better off we are. And the great thing about every one of those guys that you just mentioned, they were great students. And so I know that when they're interacting with our guys, all they're going to be doing is supporting the things that we're trying to tell them. So it's not like you're worried if, if, if one of these guys gets around that guy and he's 28 years old, I'm not sure where that's going to go. No, you don't have to worry about that. They're all quality people. You're coming off your seventh OVC championship. Last year, I would say, took the program to a new level, making it to the finals of the Oxford Regional. What did that mean last year for that team to go as far as they did to get that championship ring and to take JSU baseball to that level? You know, I think I think it meant a lot. Uh, that's something that had always been very difficult for us. We had been close a couple of times. I know with Mississippi State once at Georgia Tech, and there had been a couple of games where it had been really close, but we had not won a, a tournament game. And so – you know, we were able to win two games, and it was tremendous. And in, in, in a strange way, it was almost like uh, a little bit of weight was lifted off the shoulders because uh, that's something that we had not been able to do. And I think the beauty of it is, is now if we can make it back, which is a big if, but if you're able to make it back, you've got a bunch of guys who were part of seeing that it could happen. And I don't think that we left – 
Oxford, Mississippi with a very good taste in our mouth. And I, I know that sounds funny because we were able to win two games, but we also got boat raced a couple of times, and which was very unusual because we were playing extremely well at that time of the year. So I think there was a little bit of a bad taste in our mouth when we left there. I think this group of guys would really like to get back and try to do better than what we did last year. So, and that's the, it's no different than everybody in the country. That's their dream. But I think that it would be really good for us to get back there this year because we got so many guys returning. You're picked as the preseason favorite in three different polls, including the OVC preseason poll. You've got about three guys that have been mentioned on different preseason all-conference teams. What does JSU baseball have to do to meet those expectations this year going into 2020? I think the biggest thing that we have to do, we're, we're, we're in pretty good shape. Uh, we've got a lot of guys returning, and we lost some really quality players. But that's going to happen every year, and not, and not just us. It's going to happen to a lot of people. But the, the idea to me is that we find a way to get better, a little bit better every day, and that each individual is trying to do that so that when we put it together – we can really get better. And I, th I think that this group is committed to that. I, I actually um, told them last week that I was very proud of what I'm seeing. There's a lot of extra work that goes into it. You know, we're, there, we only have so many hours a week we can work out. If that's the only time you're working out, we're probably not going to be very good. And But if you're willing to come in here on your own and do the extra things that take you from maybe having a good year to having a great year and you start to add those together then we've got a chance to be really good so you know we, our schedule is going to be very challenging I think that's a positive we may not we're not going to win them all and we may not win the majority of them I don't know but I think the schedule is going to pay off for us and the biggest thing that I'm concerned with as the coach is that we just continue to get better and um, you know last year I think we ended up winning 18 of our last 21. That means there was a lot of things that were right, you know, because guys were still working hard. They were trying to get better, and we had come together as a team. You see, a lot of times a, a team kind of falls apart at the end. Something's wrong. You have to look at that and say something's not right. I looked at our season last year and thought something must have been really right. Alex Webb is the preseason OVC player of the year. Isaiah Magwood, preseason pitcher of the year. Who are some other guys that aren't mentioned in those polls that we're looking to mm -hmm. that you believe are going to be key contributors? Very good. I think, um, you know, uh, Dylan Hathcock, uh, he came he came on for us. I'm, I'm talking on the mound. He came on really good for us uh, a year ago. And I, I think that uh, the expectations – for me, for him, are big. Michael Gilliland probably had the best fall for us on the mound. I think the expectations have gone up. Um, I, you know, from a pitching standpoint, and then from a position player standpoint, I think if you look at uh, Frederick and Alexander and starting for the third year in a row and what those guys bring to the table and uh, Naismith and Strachan and all of the – at bats that they've had, and then you look at Kirkland and center field, you start to feel pretty good about uh, the offense and having an opportunity to do some things. I'm not sure that we're going to steal as many bags as you might want to in a park that's this size, but I think we're going to defend the field 
really good. I think we'll play good defense. And I think we've got a chance to hit a lot of doubles. And in this park, it's going to be hard to base success on home runs because it's a big park. But if you can just get a lot of doubles and there'll be some triples sprinkled in there, and I think that we've got a chance to have that type of team. Do you notice the field playing faster since the turf was no, put in? It, uh, you know, one of the things that they've done with turf now is they've been able to, through the years, kind of make it play more like a, a you know, a, a natural field. So ours plays very much like a natural field. The only time it plays fast is when it's wet and the ball skids. Uh, but other than that, if it's dry, you know, our our infield portion – is a little bit different. The turf is a little bit different than it is in the outfield. So everything that looks like grass plays more like grass. Everything that looks like dirt plays more like dirt. So it's not like it used to be where it was kind of like playing in a parking lot. It's not that way. Um, this plays very similar to a, a natural field. Well, I can remember even going back to when I was in high school, which was like a lifetime ago, but, uh, you know, we played at Legion Field, and our high school usually played six or seven games a year in football at Legion Field. Well, by the end of the year, if you had any skin at all left on your arms, you were you were fortunate because, I mean, it would literally just tear the skin right off of you. And um, it's very different than that now. I mean, our guys would dive in the outfield and get up no problem. If you dove like that on that turf back then, you you were going to come up with some skin miss, and that's just all there was to it. It's, it's just way different. It's come a long way um, in every way, really. And I think that our guys really enjoy playing on it. And the fear that I had going into last year was that now we go to a, a natural field, man, that's going to be a hard transition. It really is not. This place so similar. And I'll tell you another thing. I think it even helps in some ways because you, in your training, you get so used to the ball bouncing the way it's supposed to that it takes a lot of fear away. And that's one of the worst things that can happen to you is you get these doubts. And all of a sudden, you play on a field that's bad and you start looking for a bad hop. So then, then you miss the good ones, you know. And I think that playing on this field – when you go onto a natural field, there's a tendency, you just play. You think it's going to be a good hop, and then, you, of course, you have to react if it's not. But I think it, it kind of plays into your favor. What do opposing teams and coaches say whenever they come in and play <laughs> on this field? Man, I, w I wish you could hear it. I really do. You you would be surprised. And if I told you, you, you actually probably wouldn't believe it. I mean, that's the honest truth. I mean, uh, the – the things that we hear said about this place is pretty incredible. And, and when I say that, I'm talking like – I'm not talking about if Eastern Illinois comes here, of course they're going to be, you know, because it's so much different from where they are. But if, when you're hearing it from Georgia and you're hearing it from guys that play at Auburn, it really opens your eyes to what we have. Uh, you listen to their coaches talk about – our indoor facility and good gracious if we had that indoor facility and you think man we're blessed I mean because that's true and and you don't have to leave here to go to it you know it's it's right down the right field line just roll up the garage doors and practice and you're in and out of there and so I think sometimes if you're not careful you can almost take those things for granted 
And uh, of course, if you if you were here for a long time, you don't take them for granted. But if you're a new player here, you don't realize how fortunate that you are. It, it really is incredible. And you would probably not believe it if I told you some of the comments from some of the people. I mean, they they absolutely love this place. And we set it up, truthfully, um, we tried to do everything we could to make this a great place for our players. I mean, it truly is. I mean, look at our bullpen is right off of our dugout. The indoor, you walk straight in from the field. The dugouts are huge. Our locker room is incredible. It's like a big league locker room. Uh, we have a place for our guys to study here. Come on. Uh, we have a place for them to play games here, a lounge that they could. Our trainers are here every day. We have a training room that's right here. A lot of things that people in college baseball just don't have, and we have all of those things right here. Uh, we're blessed. I mean, unbelievably blessed. And then you guys also sometimes share the indoor with softball whenever they can't get out. It's interesting you say that. Day like today, um, golf is coming in from five to seven. They've been in pretty good bit actually in the last few weeks, but they're coming in tonight from five to seven. Softball has already uh, contacted Coach Bush about being able to get in, and certainly anything that we can do, you know, to try to help the other teams. Uh, we're all about that. So, yeah, it, it gets used a lot. The room that we're sitting in gets used all the time uh, by different people on campus. So I think that um, I think that the stadium itself has been a blessing to a lot of different people and certainly for our baseball team, but our golf team and softball when they need it, you know, of, of course. And, and um, I mean, who knows, it might be education in here one day and next time it might be vice presidents in here, but there's meetings in here usually two or three days a week. And there was a specific net installed in the indoor for Coach Hobbs. They're smaller square, so a golf ball can't get through it. Obviously, baseball being bigger. Um, how does that setup work out? Do they bring in turf that they lay down and hit off of into the net? They do. And then uh, I think that net ended up costing about $15,000. I'm still waiting on the first dollar. He's going to pay it back. <laughs> and uh, I, won't, I won't be... <laughs> He'll probably pay me when uh, at the same time he pays me for all the rides I've given him to lunch. Uh, but no, it's uh, they they do they they have some mats that they hit off of, and uh, I think they're in the in the process right now of trying to get one of those monitors. I'm not sure what those are called, where it's almost like you're playing a golf course, if you know what I'm talking about. Almost you, like a almost like a almost virtual reality it is, type of it is. setup. And, and I think they're in the process of looking at some of those. And, and that, that excites me. And, uh, you know, for, for our place to be able to be a place that those kids can come. And it's really good in a, in a lot of ways. It, I tell you, I have a better relationship with them because I'm around them, you know. And they come in and, and uh, they usually wait until we're done. But it's kind of neat to see them down there watching us work out. And then when we get through, I usually stay and watch them hit balls a little bit. So... I think there's uh, that's a good thing for, for our guys, and hopefully it's good for them as well. For a JSU fan that hasn't been out to Jim Case Stadium yet, mm -hmm. what are they missing? Well, I think, you know, my job is to put a quality product out there, and I think that it is. I, I mean, there's days it looks better than others, but uh, for the most part it is a quality pro product. But I think that um, – it's such a comfortable place to watch a game. I mean, just the little things, you know, the scoreboard. Scoreboard is really good. The music 
is really good. The the seating, every seat has a chair back. And that's that's tough to beat. Concession stand is great. The bathrooms are enormous and really nice and all those things that you're trying to do now to make it a great experience for them. And so, I mean, I think everyone should at least try it. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great evening. Uh, the kids that you see, uh, playing out there on our side, they're, they're going to be, uh, college athletes that are doing it the right way. They're, they're going to be great kids. They're going to play really, really hard. And then, you know, they're doing the right things off the field because, if you look at the other thing that's happened, the best two semesters that we've ever had in the classroom, we've had in the only two semesters we've been in here. Is that because we have a study room? Probably not. Is that a, a factor? Does that help? Probably so. I mean, it, it seems pretty funny that that's the two best semesters we've ever had, and it's happened the only two semesters we've been in here. So uh, I, th I think that if you come out, you're, you're, you're going to be excited. If, uh, if there was interaction, if you bring your little boy or your daughter to the game and there's interaction, you're, you're going to be happy because our guys are, are great guys for kids to be around. So I, I hope uh, that's one thing when you schedule 14 straight home games, you're hoping for a lot of people. Uh, last year we had uh, some games where, I mean, it was absolutely full, and we're hoping it's that way again. Something unique about JSU baseball that I think fans notice when they come to one of our games, and it's something that Coach Brian Shoup had mentioned from UAB before, and they're here uh, Wednesday, February 19th at 3 p.m., is that uh, our national anthem is a little different than, I would say, most almost every venue. Tell me about your national anthem that gets played here and what where that originated and what it means to well, you. Well, Brian, it's interesting you bring up Brian because uh, he always asks, hey, we're going to hear the Gaithers. I happen to really enjoy Southern gospel music. I like a lot of different kinds. I like bluegrass. I like country. But I like Southern gospel. If I had to pick one, that would be my favorite type of music. And, and of course, Bill Gaither, and, and he has a group, and he has done so much for Southern gospel music and kind of getting more people listening to it over the last, I don't know, 25 years or whatever. And uh, But they do a rendition of the national anthem that I absolutely love. Well, the funny thing about it, we played it ever since I've been here. That's been our national anthem. It's funny how many teams come in and the coaches say, hey, the Gaithers sing it. I love that <laughs> national anthem. So uh, that's kind of been our thing. But, uh, yeah, it kind of goes back to probably, you know, growing up around southern uh, southern gospel music and it always being on on Sunday mornings when you're getting ready for church. And Mother always had that on. and. And uh, and I grew up in even Coach Shoup and I and our wives, we get together and go to some concerts sometime. It's one of my favorite things. First pitch is thrown Friday, February 14th at 3 p.m. with Missouri coming to town. Saturday, February 15th, another 3 p.m. matchup with Missouri. And then you wrap up the series on Sunday, February 16th at noon. And then, like we mentioned, we have a midweek coming up, Wednesday, February 19th, 3 p.m. versus UAB Coach. Best of luck this season. Thanks for coming on the podcast with us. Oh, I appreciate it. I can't, I can't think of a better thing if there's some guys that are listening to this. And uh, Valentine's Day, I, I know your wife would be so happy. 
if you said, honey, you know, this year what we're going to do, we'll go out to the baseball field from about three to six. That would that would really win you a lot of points. So hopefully we'll have a, a lot of couples out here. But, no, we're excited. We are. And, and a lot of, everybody's excited this time of year. So, But, but we're, we're no different. We're extremely excited. Our kids are. We, we always have a, a day that we get together and uh, we go to church together and and we have a lunch together, and we did that yesterday, and and you could just feel the excitement. So, let's hear it, Coach. It is. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. That'll do it for this week's edition of Behind the Beat. Be sure to check back in next week when we release a brand new episode. For Avery Davis, I am Tyler Brown, saying thank you for listening and go Gamecocks. This has been Behind the Beak, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Look for new episodes each week or browse the archives on the Apple Podcast app or by visiting jsugamecocksports.com. For more on Jacksonville State Athletics, visit the official website of the Gamecocks, jsugamecocksports.com, and follow JSU on social media by searching at JSU Gamecocks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.